Hey everyone, this is Cameron from Renegade Animation on RenegadePopCulture.com. If you like what we do, please give us a like, a follow, a rating, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to them. We are everywhere. And that way, we can keep talking about what we love, and that's gushing over Odd Taxi. And now, on with the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host this evening. Joining me, as always, is the animation guru himself, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. And joining us, we've got Teresa. Hello. And yes, today we are finally getting to talk about the entirety of Odd Taxi, both the 13-episode series and the feature film Odd Taxi in the Woods. Now, Cameron, I know you were very high on this one back when we did our, I believe it was spring 2021 yeah. recap. Mm-hmm. So why don't you describe the plot of the series? Let's combine Nintendo's visual aesthetic for Animal Crossing and whatever murder mystery thriller that you prefer, like for me, I love Fargo. It's about a taxi driver named Hiroshi Odokawa, who's dubbed in the English version by Mike McFarland and in the Japanese dub, Natsuki Hanae. He gets involved with a ton of different events, per se, that are going on. This includes the story of a missing high school girl getting wrapped up with the Yakuza and just a bunch of other incidences that happen to coalesce and merge with one another they're all woven in with characters good and bad and all over the moral scale getting involved with one another and it all revolves around the one common source Odokawa and his taxi this is an original anime by the way so there's no well there is a manga out now about the overall show but it was an original property which is becoming rarer and rarer as these anime seasons go by it's written by kazuya konomoto and the anime series is directed by baku kinoshita and the movie version is directed by baku and kinomoto returns as the writer it's animated by oriental light and magic which is the same studio that does like the Pokemon stuff and that one Isekai that we talked about it during the winter season. My best friend who reincarnated as a total knockout. This was definitely one of the best anime that we talked about during our spring season recap. It was probably the one anime that we all had on our list of our favorites from that season. I do recall having this in my top five. It's because there was simply put, Nothing quite like it. I know that sounds so vague and generic, but there is just really nothing quite like Autaxi last year and even now just rewatching the whole series. There's been murder mystery thrillers in anime that's like not new, but the way that it was handled with this show, just the character dynamics, the interwoven stories and subplots that were going on. It was just a perfect anime to me. And one of those rare anime that you could actually show someone who's not really into anime or animation. 
And I think you would get a good response out of them. I also think the music really helps kind of draw you in, especially if you're like not into anime, like there's the atmosphere, there's a mood about it. And you can kind of, it's like you're riding in a taxi and you're just like following the story and there's these characters and you want to know what happens. It's basically like, like a good film noir that just happens to have a kind of quirky animal aesthetic until, well, we'll get there. But yeah, just everything about this, I just fell in love with as soon as like I saw the first episode. I mean, yeah, I think it's really the characters and the mystery just combined together for lack of better odd people intersecting and you're not sure how they connect. And obviously I love that they're all animals and cute characters. I'm just like, what's this world full of all these animals? I want to find out more. And I also like that uh, it's very kind of dry humor. That's kind of very subtle and not like quirky or over the top for laugh's sake. I feel like everything is very deliberate. The music, the writing, the dialogue, the dub is fantastic. If you haven't watched it yet, this is your time. I want to start with the comedy. What you mentioned, it is very dialogue driven. And you have to pay attention to what the characters are saying. I was really interested with how they were going to translate the humor. Because one of the like the best moments from the first episode was when Odokawa was at the doctor's office of Ayumu Goriki, who's voiced by Damon Mills. And they had that whole talk of that We Are the World performance and... <laughs> the debate on who was the scene stealer and Ayumu was saying it, it was Bruce Springsteen. And then later, and I think the second episode, Miho Shirakawa, the nurse that works there, who's voiced by Lauren Landa, was just like, anyway, she brought someone else up from that performance and Otokawa's just like, you're still talking about this song? <laughs> or how one of the main focuses of the subplots are between the two comedians of Homo Sapien, which makes way more sense when you find out the whole twist of the show. Oh, yeah. A name. Like, at first I thought it was, like, a very humorous yeah. meta twist on, like, hey, we're two, like, insert wacky comedy duo names here. And then it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, with Atsuya Baba, who's voiced by Brent Mukai, and Kinsuke Shibagaki, who's voiced by Sungwon Cho, they did a really good job making sure that their distinct dialogue humor came across with one another. I found myself laughing very much, like consistently throughout like a majority of the show and during their segments when they were, you know, trying to be funny. The only one absurd or like, I guess, gag or <laughs> yeah. quote unquote gag was Miho's uh, Capoeira. Yeah. And how Otokawa is just like, okay, I wasn't expecting that. And then she keeps doing it, and he's like, okay, enough. <laughs> I really thought every time, like, the music cue was extremely funny. And I was like, yeah, do it. I love the music cue and also the joke that Odakawa says at the end of the first time. It's like, oh, wow, for a second there, I thought a Bollywood movie was about to start. <laughs> I know. And she's like, it's Brazilian. <laughs> <laughs> But I also think the Yano stuff is like the silliest thing. Cause I was like, wait, is he rhyming? And then I was like, oh my God, he is like every single time. And then when he stops, it's like even funnier. And they make it a big deal that I say like, boss, you're rhyming. It's not happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> and Yano's like, I don't care. We just got screwed over. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just like, wow. I was very 
curious to know the dub versus the sub for that joke, but I think it was perfect in both, really. Yeah, they worked very hard to make the dub work because I was thinking this one was going to be one of those that never got one only because there are so many distinct factors to it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the humor there was because of that. Like back then with dubbing anime, they would just like directly adapt the script and then you'd have a ton of jokes just either going over everyone's heads or just like, so that was a joke. That wasn't really funny. And it's like, oh, but it works <coughs> in Japanese. And it's like, okay, but I. what's really fun about this thriller series is how they find a way to make everyone connected in more than one way. Like there's the clout chasing theme that you see throughout the show with Taichi Kabasawa's character, who's voiced by Zeno Robinson, and how he wants to be internet famous. And then you have the two comedians and the idol trio. That's who, true. Different levels of fame they're chasing. And then just like the connections of love, where Miho and Odokawa's relationship happens, and Eiji Kakihana, who's voiced by Lucian Dodge, doing whatever it takes to be connected with someone and... Or how Rui Nikaido, the dog girl, uh, the idol trio, the one voiced by Amanda Lee, the one who's just like super ambitious and it's like, oh, I kill if I have to, to get famous, has her like relationship with Atsuya Baba. It's just really cool how layered this overall story is. Yeah, that's something I really appreciated, how there were multiple facets to each of these characters. Nobody was written, except for maybe Yano, was written like, one-dimensionally they all had some sort of motivation that you could easily understand i mean yeah it's so intricate i would say the last three episodes were just like blowing my mind about everything was connected even up until the very last like five minutes of the series where i was like wait and i was like i had questions and they literally just like they answered that one and then they answered that one and it was like so deliberate and especially when we have the reveal of kind of revealing everyone's faces at the end as well I just thought it was just masterful and I think the pace maybe like if you watch like one episode on its own maybe you might think it's like a little quirky or a little slow but I think by episode two honestly I was fully fully hooked in and each episode was it could be different from each other especially the one with the skull face Oh, uh, Hajime Tanaka, who's voiced by Alex Lay. Yeah, that one, I was like, what is going on? This took like a whole left turn, but it brought you right back. It all makes sense. It like, it was that guy. He like almost ran over and he was trying to get to the girl. And I was like, the whole framework is there from the beginning. Yeah, they actually introduce characters in the background that you'll see pop up later. Like Satoshi Nagashima, the uh, giraffe student voiced by AJ Beckles. Yeah. Was you could see him in the first episode, but he doesn't really partake into the plot until maybe episode five or six. Yeah, somewhere around there. But you do see him referenced when the comedy duo are talking about fan mail. And there's that one guy who is very much, I think you guys are great and they don't know what they're talking about. You're absolutely (laughs) right, Shibagaki. It's like humor is not great anymore. And it's like, okay, chill. But there's another theme that this show tackles with different perspectives. Obsession. There's Satoshi Nagashima's obsession with like Shibagaki and Shibagaki's obsession with just like how humor was done back in the day. 
Then you have Shun Imai, the idol fanatic, voiced by Sean Chiplock, and his obsession with the idol trio. And then Hajime Tanaka having the very unfortunate obsession with gotcha game mechanics and just wanting to be popular, wanting to be the center of attention, and how it literally drove him nuts. The fact that they find a way to weave the whole thing through, it's just so impressive. And I liked the entire cast, I mean, for the most part. Because, I mean, I found them compelling from the duo cop brothers with Kenshiro Daimon and Koshiro Daimon, who are voiced by Brandon McInnes and Bryce Pappenbrook. You wonder, like, what is their issue with Odokawa? And then you find out, why through visual storytelling why they have maybe a reasonable issue of trusting taxi drivers then to see all of the characters worlds unwind among them as the story goes on it's just very cool like it's a show that takes itself as seriously as it needs to but it keeps the plot moving there's never really a point where i felt like oh they have to halt for reasons every scene had a purpose every line every story beats it's a very tightly woven narrative it feels like the writer worked extremely hard on making sure there were no loose ends with how this story unfolded and i imagine it only gets better upon rewatch too because then you can go back and really like dissect each and every line of dialogue and like find the foreshadowing and what you may have thought were like throwaway lines at first, but then they come back like episodes later. Did y'all have like a favorite subplot or anything like a side character or two that you were very like, I want to see where this goes. I think the one that I really wanted to know what was going on was what was in Hadako's house. Who was he talking to? As soon as they brought that up, it bugged me every single episode. I was like, is he secretly a serial killer? Like, what's going on? Is this going to go, like, dark? I don't want him to be dark. So just that one, like, really <laughs> bugged me. And then also the skull face guy. I wanted to know, like, what is he doing before he pops up and tries to kill him? Like, is he sitting in a warehouse plotting with his gun? Like, what's happening there? Those are kind of my two biggest ones. It's interesting how Hajime's arc unfolds within the narrative because he also encounters Shibagaki multiple times throughout the whole show. And it's just neat how they overall plot it. I think my favorite ones were the Atsuya Baba and Kinsuke Shibagaki, the duo, the Homo sapiens subplot was going because... It was just interesting, like, they worked really hard, and then this always happens with duos. I've seen this on, like, competition shows all the time. The duo's like, hey, we work off of each other well, but there's obviously that one person in the duo who's, like, way better than the other. They had a very interesting dynamic. Almost reminded me a little bit of Abbott and Costello in some Uh ways. Yeah. I felt bad for Eiji Kakihana, the janitor guy, just... Oh yeah. Like, I mean, like, not to say that like what he did was right. No, he was terrible. I mean, that's kind of the thing about this show. No one was particularly outside of maybe Taiko Harada, who's voiced by Caitlin Glass, the, the restaurant owner, were in the right 
per se. Like there was something that kept something going on that made them not pure innocent people. <laughs> That's another thing that I like. Outside of the owner of the Yamabiko. Oh yeah. Nobody was innocent, but at the same time, the show didn't let anyone off the hook, which I thought was was really appreciated. Or maybe Shun was the most innocent. I don't know. Or was there something about his obsession with the idol stuff? Like, yeah, it's a little creepy. Yeah, this just reminds me of the uh, if my favorite made it to the Budokan, I would die. The yeah. anime that came out like in I think 2020 was just like hooray, healthy fan perspectives of idol stuff and. I know Haley would have loved this, that they really do not show the best light for this idol industry with this show, which is... Absolutely not. No, just how cutthroat and just the whole thing of like, oh, one's super popular, but the others have to wear the masks for the gimmick. Mm. And it's just like, that's not fair. That's not fun. And I liked the the different levels of what certain characters would define as justice per se or like what they thought they were doing was good kanishiro the one brother who was working with dobu who's voiced by patrick seitz great casting on that regards oh yeah and how they gave him a backstory well there was always that like will they won't they like with koshiro the younger brother wondering if catch on that his brother is not the greatest person then with like people like Dobu and Togo uh, Sekiguchi, the polar bear with the claw marks on his face, and Yano, they, I think, were probably the more straightforward baddies, like the threats overall, since how they got rid of you-know-what before we get into it and such. With the animation, what did y'all think about how this overall show looked? Like, it wasn't the flashiest looking show mm. of spring 2021. I mean, that probably went to, what was it, like Vivi yeah. or something like that. Yeah. But I think this is one of those cases where the designs and the writing make up for the show's animation quality being just maybe on the side of okay. Yeah, like I'd say while the animation itself wasn't like the flashiest, they make up for it in like the character designs and like their facial expressions. Because this is a very dialogue heavy series, I feel like that's where they most of their their effort and does ultimately pay off. I think it's like the way it was designed made you almost feel like at the beginning, it's just a very like ordinary world and it kind of pulls you in with the characters. So I think I it makes sense like it didn't need to be flashy for like what the story was trying to tell it's all about like recognizing faces and paying attention to clues and not about like all this action but when the action comes I felt like the animation was really good like all the bank robbery like car chases skull face like in the club shooting I thought all of that was really animated quite well yeah I agree I thought that was pretty good as well it knew what it wanted to do because i don't think this show would have looked or would have been as interesting if they took like the route of like a studio mappa or studio wits because i think oriental light and magic is very distinct because they don't have just like one style or identity as an animation studio that that they can like call their own they do like a hodgepodge 
or like a chimera of different styles because sometimes they'll have something that's like on the level of other studios. Like, good lord, when they did like their adaptation of Comey Can't Communicate, gorgeous mm-hmm. stuff. But then they'll have something like this where it's like, yeah, it got the job done and it didn't need to be like a Studio 4C production where it's just like, oh, wow, they went at 11 at every single intercourse with the whole story and such. Now, speaking of the story, as we go through the 13 episodes, as things unwind and are revealed, near the second half, the doctor, Goriki, starts to dive into what is exactly up with Otokawa. Because the show does kind of tease the fact that maybe Otokawa's done something bad. Spoilers from here on out. What did y'all think about the revelation of Otokawa's health issue of how he perceived everyone as animals when everyone is actually human? My raw reaction uh, that I actually typed out in our group chat was, well, that took a turn. When we talk about the movie, it plays out a little bit more smoothly the way they reveal it in the film. But when they reveal that in like the in the final episode, I wasn't expecting it at first. But then the more I thought about it, it's like, okay, thinking about how the universe is set up, like you mentioned, like, there are certain inconsistencies that kind of like make you wonder, like, what's going on here, then it all kind of clicks into place. Yeah. Well, as soon as I'm sure you saw also my message in the group chat, I was like, this last episode opening is really weird. I don't know what's (laughs) going on with this shadow guy and this little kid in the car. Like, who's this little kid? Because I didn't really, I always remember Autokawa and not Hiroshi. And I was like, who's Hiroshi? So I was like super lost until they started talking about the accident. And then I was like, what? Wait, what? And I was like, oh. And then I started thinking about how there were like pet cats. And he, like, when they were talking about the zoo, and I still thinking he's a walrus, I was like, wait, he likes walruses? So it took me, like, the whole sequence to really figure it out. Because, like, when the Groki, like, just says, like, oh, it's, like, visual, whatever, whatever, like, the diagnosis was, I was like, what does that mean? He's just good with faces. Like, what's the big deal? And then I was like, oh, there is a much bigger deal going on behind that. So I thought it was great. I thought, especially when you see Dobu as a human, I just started laughing. And <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. I see I was going, and like his friend, like, oh, everything, like that final sequence, especially when then they go to the TV and they cut to the girl being arrested. And you think she was a poodle, but no, that's just her hair. I was like, this was masterful. I was like, I'm totally sold. Like, I love it. And I love that the movie kept the animal thing all the way through because I was I didn't know if the movie was going to be like a continuation or or what so I was glad to see them again we find out that Otokawa has a thing called visual agnosia like after the incident where his parents were killed something in his mind perceives everyone else as animals like humanoid animals and I like how the design for everyone makes sense when you look at their human counterparts and how they look in their animal forms. It's very much like an old school like way of what does this animal symbolize? Like, you know, sly as a fox and slow as a turtle, that kind of thing. I think that was very cool. But yeah, 
in that last episode in like the last five minutes after everything's pretty much okay like the bad guys are in jail the idol group is disbanded everyone is going on with their lives kabasawa is studying again kakihana is just thankful that he's alive (laughs) and then in the last five minutes we find out that one of the idol girls turns out the main twist that we find out in the like a few episodes leading up to 13 is that the body that you see get thrown into the water you find out that that it was the like the one of the original members of the idol trio and that they just got someone else to replace her and just use her name and you think like okay so what happened exactly because that's the one story element they do not tell you until the last five minutes when the other uh cat girl is just like oh yeah no everything's great i i'm just surviving and i'm making it through work and such and you find out that she actually killed the other idol member just strangled her and then it, the show itself ends with her getting into otokawa's taxi and it's just like okay is there going to be like a season two <laughs> like you can't just end like that what's going to happen to otokawa <laughs> he just got like finally in a relationship with the uh shirakawa so it's just like you can't just end it there but that's why we have this movie which I know a lot of people were excited, like, hey, we're going to make this movie follow-up. And every fan of Autaxi was just arms in the air, cheering, yes. And then some of that hype died down a little with it being confirmed as a recap film with some additional epilogue footage made for the movie. Before we dive into it, what are y'all's takes on recap films? Because we don't really get to talk about them a lot. And it's amusing that in this fall season, they are recontextualizing the Berserk Golden Age arc films as a TV series, which is an interesting choice. Well, I haven't seen that many, to be honest. I would say like the most like films I ever watched were like Inuyasha or like a random Bleach one. I don't mind them. I do feel like it depends, like almost like. If it's a standalone movie with like half of it being recap, like that's totally fine. I feel like this was like 95% recap and like 5% story. I think it really differs. I'm not against them. I do know when I watch it in a season, like, and there's like a recap episode, like the case study of Vanitas had one. And I was like, oh, I need to know what the story is. So I think when it's a film in that context, it works a little bit better than like an in-between episode. I think the best recap movies are the ones that either add something new to the material or are just there for like a quick refresher for new audiences. In this case, there is a bit of a different spin on the series. Kind of like the the sort of mockumentary style they go with with this one. The whole mockumentary aspect is actually something that differentiates this recap film. I'm not a fan of them. I am extremely critical of them because it's like you just told the story as you saw fit as a TV show. Why are you taking all of the most important story bits and cramming them into 90 minutes? And you take out all like the sweet moments, all the character moments, all the intimate moments of how our story is told. It seems like there are very few of them that actually do something like Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, which is actually a prequel to the anime series, 
or you have something the My Hero Academia films, which are pseudo connected to the anime series, but they don't do enough to break up continuity. Because a lot of times it's either here's a franchise filler film that's going to have no consequence or impact on the actual story when, you know, it introduces things that probably should impact the story of the show, or they're just recap films. Rarely do we get like a Tomiko's market where there's a Tomiko love story that's actually like a cap to the show. So you have a reason to watch it. With this movie, Odd Taxi Into the Woods, yeah, for a two-hour film, 90% of it is recapping the entire show with maybe 10 to 12 minutes of new footage. But because I wouldn't expect any other way, the writer and director set it up as a pseudo-epilogue sequence of someone interviewing everyone who's connected to the story. Well, not everyone, but most of the key players, per se. It's like mostly the people who had like a direct connection to at least like Odakawa and the main sort of mystery. I will give them credit. That is a very good way to put a spin on a recap film because you got to do something. You can't just be like, hey, remember when this happened? Which is what happens in a lot of shows like Power Rangers used to do this, anime do this all the time. I think My Hero Academia starts out with a recap episode every season. That's just from what I remember from the last season before the other two are happening. I mean, it was clever. At first I was like, this is going to be the first 10 minutes, right? (laughs) No, (laughs) it's not. But I did appreciate kind of the like people's spin on the takes. So like the voiceover, especially Dobu, because he's full of shit. (laughs) He's just like, it wasn't that bad. I mean, you know, I got him right where I want him. That kind of like thing. And then also just like little Damon little daemon and like when he went hiding i thought that was like pretty interesting to see like what he was up to he's just like hiding secretly in the park talking to this guy so i thought that was pretty funny and it kind of made more sense to like especially in the ending because i feel like once it got to like the main action it was just like those episodes but then when we got like the human reveal i feel like when he's explaining it to the police it all kind of really seamlessly like fit the pieces together. So I thought it was pretty satisfying. I don't know. I would like to know someone watching that film who didn't watch the series. I would really like to know if they catch everything. Yeah, I feel like you have to watch the show and then watch this because this is not the most exciting or thrilling looking animated film. I'm sure this was done with a small team at OLM. Because a majority of the film is either clips from the show or characters sitting down at like a park, in a cafe, at the police station, or with Yano and Sekiguchi just kind of standing around the pier or the uh, warehouse district. And what's interesting is they do throw in a little more into Tanaka's plot of bringing in that one guy who had like all the fancy erasers, which I never thought there would be an eraser collection thing, but you know, there's a fandom for everything. 
exactly. And, and I thought that was very interesting because that's like one of the outside of the 10 to 12 minutes of epilogue footage to cap off the show and the overarching story. They brought that in to help strengthen Tanaka's story and or just how it's just like, oh, yeah, no, I didn't really care about the dodo or what have you. But to Tanaka, you see from his perspective, it meant the world to him, which I thought that was very interesting. I don't think this needed to be two hours because I'll give stuff like Goblin Slayer. I think it's called like Goblin Crown or something credit. Out of the 60 minutes runtime, only 30 of it is basically the 12th episode (laughs) recap of the whole show before they cut to basically what was an additional Goblin Slayer episode. Here, I can't imagine a part you could cut out and not miss anything, but I'm wondering if it would have been better to just have a 40-minute special or something that's what i'm kind of thinking too because part of at least what felt to me like and i hate using this word but padding was towards the second half of this film they seem to kind of drop the whole interviewing framing device and just kind of play the last two episodes straight until we kind of get the more epilogue footage but other than that like you said i don't think you can really cut anything out without like you know, confusing the audience. Most people who would have seen this were probably already fans of the series anyway. Yeah, I don't think this is one of the things where you can jump into the movie and be fine with it. This one, you have to watch the show. Teresa, what did you think about the overall... uh, Do you think it needed to be a movie? Were there things that... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, it could absolutely have been much more abbreviated i feel like there were like voiceover scenes but then they would just play the scene and i feel like they shouldn't have done that they should have just been only voiceover the only the interview parts and then not just episodes 12 and 13 and then kind of just like from the police station on yeah it's weird because i'm sure this is intentional that they're like okay we don't have the biggest budget for this what can we do to save the most amount of time and money and then focus on it with the last 12 minutes that were the most important where we find, of course, everything back to the last scene where the girl gets into the back of Otokawa's taxi and is pretty much about to kill him. And (laughs) I'm a little disappointed that they kind of cut away from what happens or I'm not entirely sure. Did Otokawa stop her or what happened? No, because he's in the next scene. I was like, uh, I was like, we're not cutting to him in the hospital. Okay. You don't really make it clear, like, whether the next scene takes place, like, after or before. They really leave that little bit just vague enough. What's interesting is then when the ending credits start and that great opening from Punpy, which, by the way, Odd Taxi probably had the best opening sequence of any anime from last year. Oh, that opening (laughs) is so good. Just the calm, atmospheric vibes of the cityscape. And you can probably actually see some of the, uh, some little details that are important to the story within like the background of the the buildings. You see like the signs and such. And (laughs) once again, it actually matters to 
what's going on exactly with the overarching story. Everything connects so well. No loose ends are left. When the ending credits for the movie start, they just show that the girl gets arrested. But then everyone like befriends one another, and it's cute that Otokawa actually drew pictures of everyone as her animal form. <laughs> or like how he saw or perceived them. Yeah, that was so cute. That was very wholesome. Like, there doesn't need to be a second series or anything like that for this, because it's like, where do you go? <laughs> you can't make a second season out of Attack. But I would love to see just the characters bonding or something like that, just interacting in a slice of life kind of thing. But that's just me be- liking the still frames and such from the closing credit sequence and such. But yeah, that's all of Attack's great series. Loved it. I just want more people to experience this. And hey, since the show kind of ends on Christmas, maybe maybe uh, Shane Black fans might get a kick out of this. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally see that. This was, like, when I first watched it, like, back last year, like, I watched the whole thing with the subtitles and such. And it was probably my favorite show from last year. Like, from anime, but also maybe in animation in general. Though I did love Arcane and, like, Centaur Worlds, City of Ghosts, and what have you. But there was just, I love Comey Can't Communicate. I loved the good shows that we all watched last year, there is just nothing that was ever like or could be compared to Odd Taxi. Like, maybe outside of the Heike story, just wholly unique in what it delivers and what kind of experience you get from anime. Just go watch this show. It's kind of a shame that apparently it didn't do very well. Like, it was critically acclaimed. It's one of those cases Everyone loves it, or all the critics love it. No one watched it. Guess how much the movie made at the box office? Oh, I don't even want to know. I'm just going to be sad. <laughs> Under 500000 Well, depending on how much it costs to make this, that probably isn't that big of a loss, but oof. <laughs> I don't know how you would make that film a success if it's just recapping the show, and it's mostly just people sitting down talking to a faceless detective or interviewer per se. So I guess I'm not shocked, but it's a bummer. Commercially, you're kind of in a no-win situation with the film, but for the series, eventually this will find its audience. Like, I'm pretty sure it's already, like, gaining a cult following. Listen, I love shonen battle stuff. I love the big popular stuff to a degree, but I want audiences to start partaking in the offbeat stuff like this or the Heike story and such. Just something that you won't see every day. Support that because I don't want to keep dunking on fandoms and like the industry and such because I get it. You're going to do what's going to make you the most money and you're going to focus on what's familiar to you. But I think that leads to just really boring stuff sometimes. The best part about Autaxi is... It was not like anything else. Exactly. Go watch it. Just watch the show. Watch the movie. It's, for as of recording this, just in subtitles. But I'm <coughs> sure they got a dub ready soon. It was really interesting because this came out in Japan first. And then four or so months later, it, it's like now out here. I guess they just didn't have time. And next time, we're going to... The animation podcast is going on a bit of a, hi- a hiatus. I'm going to be busy for 
three weeks. But when we get back, we will be doing a Wendell and Wild episode and a Halloween episode where we talk about one of the anime that's airing right now since it's only going to be a four-episode limited series. And then in November is when we're going to talk about the big fall 2022 anime season. I'm looking forward to what we have coming uh, next. Before we get out of here, really quick, Cameron, I know you're going to animation this film. Are there any titles that you're looking forward to? Oh, well, Wendell and Wild. Like, when I saw that that's the first film that's playing at the festival, it's like, well, I'm going to go see that. It's <laughs> it's Henry Selleck. It's Jordan Peele. I want to see it on a big screen. I'm a little sh- bummed out that I'm going to be missing out the, like, one of the few Japanese animated films that's at the festival with Gold Kingdom and Water Kingdom. But, you know, it, it is what it is. Films get stacked on top of one another. You have to make choices. Yeah, you got to make choices. Also be seeing the work in progress screenings of Strange World and Puss in Boots The Last Wish. Nice. I'll also be seeing My Father's Dragon, which, oh, I can't wait for that. And then New God Yang Jian, then that night. And then I'll be seeing the world premiere of Tatina, which is from Norway and Belgium. And then the big Annecy winner from this year, Little Nicholas. And the absolutely chaotic looking Unicorn Wars. Maybe we'll do like a small like Q&A podcast. So just like my takeaway from animation is film in between everything. So when I say my Twitter and such, you'll be able to find out where you can hear me talk about these films and such. Awesome. I definitely look forward to hearing all this. But yeah. That wraps up this episode. Before we get out of here, Teresa, where can everyone find you online? You can find me on all social platforms at Teresa Electro. And Cameron, where can everyone find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cam's Eye View. I have my own website called camseyeview.biz, where I review animated films and shows from around the world called The Other Side of Animation. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash camseyeview. That's where you can find me. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can follow Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. You can also find us on Podchaser, on YouTube, on the Banana Meter. Listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And last but not least, everything can be found at RenegadePopCulture.com. In escape, so do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.